I'm Laura Herberg, and this is Curiosity, where WDET finds answers to your questions about what's got you curious in Detroit. I was about to get on the lodge from the service drive, and suddenly this bird walked out in front of my car, this bird with long tail feathers, and I had no idea what it was. And I looked around to see if anyone else was noticing it because I really almost thought I was imagining it. That's Jenny Sheridan Moss. When Jenny figured out that the bird she'd spotted was a pheasant, she asked Curiosity, Why are there so many pheasants in Detroit? And why have they continued to thrive in an urban environment? Back in 2016, when Jenny asked her question, we put then-WDET reporter Shelby Jopi on the case. I'll let Shelby take it from here. So on a gray, hazy Wednesday morning, Jenny and I pull up to a large, vacant lot just north of New Center. This is where Jenny's seen two pheasants. She drives by here every day on her way to work. I wore my soccer mom rain boots because I knew we'd be in tall grass. <laughs> with us is Zach Cooley. I'm a wildlife biologist with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Division. You want to go look for a pheasant? Let's look. Okay. <laughs> we start canvassing the lot, walking a couple feet from each other, kind of like a search party. Zach directs us to a gravel path where the field borders a row of backyards. We plod along it, inspecting the overgrowth. We pass an abandoned tire and some leftover trash, but no sign of the bird. So I'm wondering how they got here to begin with. Well, pheasants came here from Asia back in you know early 1900s or late 1800s. China, specifically, for hunting purposes. They thrived on small farms in the southern third of the state. Recently, with more of the overgrown lots, um, it's become very good habitat for them. Just around here in this park, there's tree lines going down the power lines here, uh, hedgerows that they can hide in. They like to nest in the grasses. And in Detroit, nothing's hunting them. The urban pheasant may be at risk of the occasional feral cat attack. The pre- their main predator is probably getting hit by a car. After several minutes of searching, still nothing. We're looking for pheasants. Do you guys see them around here a lot? They usually be over there. All right. Have a good day. There's one field left to search across from where we started. So hopeful and a little desperate, we begin the block and a half walk back. I know that you're not allowed to hunt pheasants in the city, but do you think they would taste bad if you did kill one and eat it? (laughs) Oh, no. No? They're not not eating, uh, like, garbage or anything. They're still eating insects and vegetation and uh, seeds. We make our way to an alley running between two rows of homes and are welcomed by a scavenging squirrel who scurries down from a dumpster. Not what we were hoping for, but then... There you go. There's one right there. Straight ahead in the the road. There he is. It's walking back across now. Good eye. (laughs) The pheasant ahead of us has a brilliant blue-green head with a white ring around his neck golden brown tail feathers extending almost two feet behind him. He's got a funny stride, running with his neck sticking out and body remaining completely still. Uh, Yep, yep, there's the two of them. See, I knew there were two on this block. (laughs) Pheasants have found an urban Eden among the lush lots of Detroit. With plenty of nesting space in the unkempt grounds and no significant predators, the game birds strut comfortably down our alleys and through our yards. So much so that a ragtag group can find one without a lot of effort. That piece was produced in 2016 by then-WDET reporter Shelby Jopi. These days, Shelby is a freelance data journalist based in Denver, Colorado. Up next, I'll be venturing into the woods of one of Detroit's parks with an ecologist studying urban wildlife here. But first, let's take a quick break. 
As newsrooms across the country close their doors, independent and unbiased journalism is more crucial than ever. We rely on you just like you rely on us. This spring fundraiser, join us in protecting public media. Your support keeps us thriving. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap donate in our mobile app. On an overcast January day, Dr. Naima C. Harris and I are headed away from a parking lot and into a wooded area at Eliza Howell Park in northwest Detroit. This area is a really neat area because it's forested, but the area that we're going to specifically walk to where the camera is, is right along the river. Harris is an associate professor in the School of the Environment at Yale University and the director of the Applied Wildlife Ecology Lab. For the past five years, her team has been monitoring cameras that are now in about 25 Detroit parks. These cameras aren't meant to monitor people. Harris tries to make that very clear by posting signs about the project with her contact info. The cameras are meant to capture footage of urban animals. The primary question we were interested in is around coexistence. This idea of, okay, wildlife are in the city and they are forced to interact or adjust or adapt in order to live in the city with people. So what are those strategies? What do they have to do in order to be successful as an urbanite <laughs> like us? As we walk along a trail, Harris tells me the cameras they use to record the animals are well hidden. Sometimes I play a little you know, game with my students and we're walking up to the cameras and I'm like, I spy. And they're like, I don't see it. I don't don't know where it is. Are you gonna make me do that? I am. (laughs) We walk a little further and Harris starts forging her way through the bushes. So we're going off trail now. We are. But the good thing is that there's no leaves um, on the trees right now. There are some sticky vines and so we want to be careful of those be careful as we go down slope yeah we're going down uh embankment right now headed towards the river this is the rouge right it is uh i spy already by the way i spy she (laughs) sees the camera um this way sure sure Uh uh-oh colder (laughs) it sounds like i'm getting colder um you should be able to see it soon okay okay Oh, I, this has got to be it right here. There's like a gray device strapped to a tree. This is it, right? Yes, it is. Ding, ding, ding. We Yay. found it. <laughs> Cameras like this one have captured chipmunks, squirrels, mice, rabbits, and pheasants. Prey for carnivores like foxes, raccoons, and coyotes that have also been pictured on camera. One thing the research team has learned by observing their footage is that sometimes when parks have a lot of human activity, there's less coyote activity. But Harris says these same parks still contain raccoons and foxes. The term that's used to describe that is called a human shield. And so the idea is that a human creates this shield um, that allows for the more smaller or subordinate carnivores. So in our case, the small foxes or the raccoons, the human shield create kind of a space for them to exist without their dominant predator, without that apex predator or coyote that's there. Harris's team also looked at the time of day that coyotes are active in Detroit parks. They compared their findings to data from rural sites in Michigan. And consistent with other urban studies, we found that the coyotes do behave differently than their 
more natural counterparts, if you will. They are active at a different time of day. We do see a different pattern based on them avoiding traffic patterns in the city. Harris says for future research, she wants to follow the movement patterns of coyotes and other predators like foxes and raccoons. Right now with our cameras, our cameras are in one location. So the animal has to come to that location in order for us to detect it. But if researchers trap animals and put collars around them, then they can track where they go. So having that movement data will give us a whole nother insight into how are they managing um, the risk and rewards that exist throughout the city of Detroit. Where are they going? When are they going there? And how do they avoid uh, the traffic or the people in order to survive here. So that's going to give us a really, really cool picture of, again, these ideas around coexistence. What do they have to do in order to survive in a place that's so human-dominated? That, again, was Dr. Naima C. Harris, associate professor in the School of the Environment at Yale University and the director of the Applied Wildlife Ecology Lab. You've been listening to Curiosity, a production of 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Thanks to Jenny Sheridan-Moss for submitting her question to Curiosity. And thanks to reporter Shelby Jopi for answering it. Shelby's piece was edited by WDET's news director, Jerome Vaughn. This episode was produced by me, Laura Herberg. Mastering and some mixing for the episode was done by WDET's Connor Anderson. Our music is by Will Sessions. Thanks to WDET's head of podcast, David Lyons, for production support. WDET's digital team is Dave Kim and Sophia Joswiak. A reminder that we always want to hear from you. If there's something that you're curious about that's related to Detroit, submit it at WDET.org slash curious, and you might hear your question featured in a future episode. The best questions are typically things that other people have wondered as well. For example, why are there pheasants in Detroit? But if you don't have a common question, but it would make for an interesting story, we might still pick it, so don't be shy. Again, you can submit your question at wdet.org slash curious, and I will put that link in the show notes. One more thing, if you happen to be listening to this episode at wdet.org, then I want to encourage you to right now open up your favorite podcast app, be it Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, take your pick, search for Curiosity by typing in C-U-R-I-O-S-I-D, and then click subscribe. That way you'll always be in the loop the next time we answer a question from a listener like you about Detroit.